every dry bone, for every anxious thought. And we still lift out our voice and give you praise. For you are worthy in every moment, whether we are on a mountaintop or in the valley, rain or shine, rich or poor, in health or in sickness, you are still worthy. You haven't changed one bit. Your character, your faithfulness, it remains the same in every season.
So there's a story in the Bible regarding this lady who um, gave her two mites, and it was the last that she had. And she was so, I couldn't imagine for God, um, God doesn't even ask for our last. He actually asked for our best, but that was all she had. And the same thing that happened early in the, in the Old Testament, the same thing happened with Moses. He told Moses, what do you have? And we are constantly focused on what don't we have. We are constantly focused on the amount of money that doesn't meet the requirement or our expectations. We are constantly focusing on that. That's why so many of us and this world, uh, men and women, are walking uh, along this earth feeling inadequate. Our minds are too focused on what we don't have. But God, over and over and over again in the scriptures, reminds us, no, baby girl, what do you have? My son, what do you have? And that's what I want you to offer. That's what I want you to give. So remember, even as the, the woman was handing over her two mites at the church in the offering plate, the Lord even told the church members, disciples, Pharisees, he said, look at that. Forever her story will be told. Forever she will be mentioned. In 2020, we are still mentioning her today. Over two mites. So remember, whether you are rich or poor, in your poverty or in your abundance, when you are joyful and when you are depressed, in every season, no matter what, hand it over to God. We trust in the Lord. We trust in bigger things. We trust in something that is way beyond what we see. We must be men and women who have vision. It doesn't look so good right now. But you know what? We have vision. Our future is going to be amazing because we are walking with the Lord. We are walking with the one who changes futures, who changes hearts, who changes it all who can add to us at any moment. So let's not be afraid. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter what your bank account looks like, what your relationships look like, your families at home. Even if there's a frustration happening, doesn't matter what it looks like, hand it over to God. Make sure you trust God with every penny. And don't be afraid to drop change into that basket or into the offering basket. Don't be afraid to say, you know what, all I have, $5 is a tenth of what I have. God is not going to say that's, that's not enough. He says, don't worry about it. I'm the one who multiplies. I'm the one who makes the bread rise. I'm the ones that make your lungs breathe. Don't forget who's in charge and who's in control. We believe and trust in his providence. His kingdom, his kingdom come, his will be done. We just give him what we have, and we are confident. Let's be confident, walking around with confidence, not inadequacy, but confidence. Amen? Lord, we love you in this place. We pray over every dollar, over every household here represented in this building and those that are watching online. We pray that you multiply every penny, God. Every ounce of love, multiply it. Every um, heart, God, continue to let it grow in love and in peace and in joy. May we not focus on our inadequacies or what we don't have, but remind us to be confident in you, Lord. Confident in your word. Your word is still true to this day. You are still faithful. 
You don't change. No matter what, Lord, you are faithful. You are consistent, constant in every season. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done already. And we know it is just the beginning. You are, it is just the beginning of your move, your, your coming, your word, your impartation. So, Lord, let it be that we are open. We are ready. We love you and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's welcome our pastor up as he shares the word. Um, well, praise the Lord. I'm a little bit loud now. I guess it's, it's better than not hearing at all. But it's one of those days I, I can already tell. Uh, whatever you guys turned up, you need to turn it down just a little bit for me, please. So I'm not yelling at everybody here. Uh, good to see you guys this morning. Um, happy to be here. Uh, we're going to finish up our, our Faith Factory series. But first, I want to share a couple of things and, and even our, our mic issue right now. Uh, goes right in line with what I want to share with you. I am exhausted. <laughs> I am exhausted. I've been so busy with family, so busy with church, so busy with protesting and speaking with other pastors and other churches. Uh, since last Sunday, being here with you guys, uh, our first service back, again, good to see even more people here this morning in the building. Amen. Uh, since, since last Sunday, I've met with six different pastors and leaders uh, and recorded talks for them and recorded talks for their churches. I participated in two different protests in two different cities. Um, I met with some of the men that I disciple, had them over. We had breakfast and Bible study and prayer. And uh, to add to all that this morning, listen to this, uh, woke up and my computer decided to delete my message. <laughs> I just threw my hands up and said, Lord, I'm done. I can't do anymore. I can't go anymore. Uh, is anybody there where you feel like that the next thing might be the last thing for you? Anybody? Like you're just, you're done. That's where I'm at. But uh, I trust God. Amen. Amen. And I know that uh, he's in control. And, and even as I looked and my, and my message was deleted, you know, uh, I tried to calm myself down. I, I downloaded a couple of, of different apps and programs and tried to find stuff that's been deleted and it just wasn't working uh, and it didn't work. It never, it never came back. But in the process of that, even this morning, I, I felt the Lord say, I just want you to remember that I'm in control. Yeah. You know, like no matter how hard you try, if I, if I want it to be deleted, it's just gone. You can't get it back. And uh, I think that applies to so many things in, in our lives right now that... Uh, uh, we're not helpless, but we're also not in control. We need to trust God. We need to trust God. Amen? Amen. So what I want to do is I just want to start off with a moment of prayer for uh, myself and for, for any of the rest of you that are just at that point 
um, and uh, just ask God to be with us. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, here we are. Uh, reminded that you are in control, that you are God, that you have a plan, you have a purpose, you have desires that you want to see and you will see fulfilled, Lord God. We came into this place this morning with, with one goal and one priority, and that was to worship you, Lord. We, we give our worship in song. We give our worship in our resources, Lord God. We give our worship in our attention, in our time as we study your word, as we preach your word, as we listen to your word, Lord God. And you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of worship, Lord God. The things that are out of whack right now, Lord, the things that are uh, out of balance, Lord God, the things that are um, hurting us, frustrating us, um, causing us to have so many different emotions and feelings, Lord God, you are aware. We come before you humbly and we just ask, Lord, that you would be with us this morning that you would have your hand over this message, Lord God, that you would speak to your people. Our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, our minds and our eyes would be open, Lord God, that you would be able to change us and transform us, Lord God. Whatever burdens we've come into uh, or come into this building with this morning, Lord God, whatever burdens those who are with us and, and watching and participating online, Lord God, whatever they are, they are significant, they are important, Lord God. But we ask that you would help us to lay those down for just a few minutes that we would be able to give you our undivided attention, that we would be able to seek you with all that we have. We know that you promise if we do that, that we'll find you. And that's what we need most this morning. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've been thinking about pain, sadness, anger, anxiety and restlessness, abandonment, confusion, um, Exhaustion, like I said, isolation, powerlessness, all the things, especially on the negative side of the emotions that many of us are experiencing and going through, uh, they're visibly present, I know in myself, and as I talk to people and I look at people, you can actually see all of these emotions and all these things that we're going through right now. So what do we do with these emotions? What do we do with these feelings? Um, I think we're in a place right now where it's easy to be consumed by these feelings. It's easy to be consumed by these emotions. How many of you would say that right now in regards to uh, the coronavirus, in regards to dealing with injustice and systemic racism, that we've gone into or we're in the middle of a crisis? Would anybody say that? Raise your hand if you think so. We've gone into a crisis. We're in the middle of a crisis, right? What if I were to challenge you and say that we have not gone into a crisis, we are not in the middle of a crisis, but in actuality, we've just been made more aware of the crisis that has always existed. See, we feel like we're entering into something and we've been in, the, in this coronavirus crisis for three months and now with all the things that are happening in the news and in our communities, that we're in the middle of another significant crisis, but actually, we're just being made more aware that we were always in crisis. The brokenness of the world, our individual brokenness, is not new. It's just that in some ways we're being forced to address it and acknowledge it and wrestle with it like never before, on a daily basis. We've had to do it before, but, but it comes and goes and we have these breaks and sometimes we're heightened awareness and lower awareness, but right now we seem to be consumed. Uh, we seem to be um, um, uh, just no matter where you look, no matter where you turn, it's there. 
as Christians, I think that uh, historically we sought to find peace, right? We're looking for peace. That's, that's something that Christians are always doing. And that's a good thing. But I think that we've also sought escape. We want to escape the pain. We want to escape the difficult feelings that we experience. And I'm not so sure that our peace should be synonymous with uh, painlessness, with, with being free from suffering or being free from pain. I think in our minds and in our hearts, we want to escape, we want to find peace, we don't want to be in pain, we don't want to suffer, and we think that if we can find peace, it'll be uh, removed from suffering and removed from pain. But I'm not so sure that that's true. I think when we actually read through the scriptures, that's the reason why it tells us that we can have a peace that surpasses understanding. Because pain is always going to be part of our peace while we're here. Suffering is going to be a part of the peace that is available to us while we're here. And maybe this morning we might consider that if we're looking for a peace that does not have pain or suffering, maybe that's why we can't find it. In our pain and our suffering, we say things like, Lord, please come now. How many of you have said that in the last few weeks? Like, Lord, now is the time. What are you waiting for? Come now. How many of you have said in the last few weeks, Lord, deliver me? You're struggling with something. You're dealing with something. You're like, Lord, you, you got to deliver me. You got to help me. I need you right now to change my heart, change my mind. Anybody this morning? Yeah. Amen. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, this is what Paul says. He says, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed. Say hard pressed. Hard pressed. Say hard pressed. hard pressed. It's just muffled with your mask. <laughs> Paul says, I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart, to escape. Right? And be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, all for your progress and joy to faith, of faith. Paul says, I'm ready to be done with this. I'm ready to be delivered. I need to escape. Lord, come now. I want to be with you. It's hard. It's better for me to, to, to die would be gain. I would actually gain the peace that I so desperately want. But he says, but I've got to stay and I've got to continue to fight. I've got to stay in the pain. I've got to stay in the brokenness for the sake of others. And then he says, actually, and I've made peace with that. Think about that for a second. I want the peace that only escape can provide to be with Christ, but I can't do that. I have to stay in the brokenness and I have to stay in the pain, but I've made peace with staying in the brokenness and staying in the pain. Maybe that's another thing we need to consider and pray about is even once some of us had said for the sake of others, for the sake of my wife, for the sake of my husband, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my church, for the sake of my community, I'm going to stay in the fight. But many of us are still struggling while we're in the fight instead of saying, I'm just going to make peace with it that I'm going to have to. This is my life. This is my cross to carry. 
So he, Paul says this about himself and his individual struggle. Listen to what he says about the church as a whole. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, we are hard pressed on every side. Say hard pressed. Hard pressed. Say hard pressed. hard pressed. Right? So he talked about himself and he said, I'm hard pressed. I got these two choices. Die and go to be with Jesus or stay and suffer. And then he says about the whole church, it ain't just me as an individual. He says, we now are hard pressed. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Can you see this tension that he's talking about? That every believer, the church as a whole, is called to live in? He says we're hard-pressed, yet not crushed. He doesn't say that we have peace and prosperity, right? That we have this, uh, this utopia within the church. No, he says actually we're hard-pressed to the point where it looks like we might actually fall and crumble, but we are not crushed. That's a lot of pressure if you think you're crushed and it looks like the church might be crushed. That you have to actually acknowledge that you're not. You're hard-pressed but not crushed. You're perplexed but not in despair. I mentioned earlier one of the, the feelings is confusion. Especially right now, a lot of people are confused. That's what it says. You're perplexed. You don't understand it. You can't figure it out. No matter how many times you look at it and listen to it and read through it, you're still confused. But he says, I'm not in despair. Think about that for a second. Being completely confused, lacking understanding, but not being in despair, not being desperate, still having a peace somehow. He says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. I love uh, the song that we sang this morning, right? Our, our worship team says, um, not for a minute was I forsaken. Whew. If you haven't felt alone in this season, if you haven't felt abandoned in this season, uh, I don't know how that's possible. But to know that you are maybe persecuted, to know that you have been maybe abandoned in so many different ways, but not by God, you have not been forsaken. That's tension. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love when, when, when we read through the scriptures, this is 2 Corinthians, and, and we know that, that Paul is writing this. So think about somebody saying, I've been struck down and the church has been struck down, but not destroyed. This is a man that's been stoned to the point twice where they thought he was dead. I think it carries a little bit of weight when he says we've been struck down, but not destroyed. And then the last thing it says is that we are carrying life and death all for the glory of Christ. This is the, this is the description of what it means to be the body of Christ. We're carrying the life of Christ, but we're also carrying around in our flesh this, this, this death and this suffering and this pain and this agony. That it's not surprising. So church, since we're not going to be allowed to escape, how then shall we live? That's the question, right? I was talking to a leader this week who told me that uh, there's so many voices out there right now. So many opinions out there right now. Somebody say amen. And he said, with those that he's planning to address, he had, he had a, a meeting this week, um, do some teaching. 
He said he didn't want to just be one more voice and one more opinion. So he was planning really not to really speak on any of the things that other people are speaking on right now. And I couldn't stop thinking about what he said. So him and I, we kept talking, we kept wrestling. Um, That's my way of saying we were arguing. Um, And then I realized and I shared with him why it didn't sit well with me. Why I I couldn't get with it. This idea of there's so many voices and so many opinions that then we should not have a voice or maybe not have an opinion to add to that. And I thought about the voice of God. When it comes to the voice of God, sometimes it's loud, but oftentimes it's actually soft and subtle. Let me read to you 1 Kings 19, verse 11. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. It says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Right. So the voice of God. Sometimes I think it is loud, but in this particular, particular case, you see that there's earthquake, there's wind, there's all kinds of stuff happening in God's. You're not hearing his voice in any of that. And there's a still small voice that says and calls you out by name, has something specific to say to you. The wonderful working of God, right? I continue to think about the voice of God. I said that sometimes it's peaceful and calming how many of you ever felt that before? Like, like you hear the voice of God, you feel the presence of God and a peace comes over you, right? You calm down if you were anxious, right? But sometimes it's actually loud and passionate and it comes with that kind of table flipping anger that we see out of the Lord sometimes, right? This is Acts chapter nine, verse three. Acts chapter nine, verse three. It says, as he journeyed, He came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. This is a little bit different, right? The first one, it's it's a still, small voice, and it's a whisper, Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? But this time, he's knocked off of a horse. It's thundering so loud, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He crumbles on the floor because it's so powerful. And even the other people that can't really hear the voice and understand it, they are shook. And they stand speechless. Because sometimes when the Lord speaks, it is loud and it is passionate. I continue to think about the voice of the Lord. I said that sometimes he's laughing and joking, but sometimes he's also weeping and his voice is cracking. 
Many of us, many of us have, have had that experience lately, talking to somebody and they begin to weep, they begin to cry, they can't get their words out. I think the same is true with the Lord and his voice. This is uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 41. It says, now as he drew near, speaking of Jesus, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, say peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you, not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I love this one because obviously in the beginning, you see him crying. You see him weeping over the city. He's, he's looking at his people and he's saying, you're missing it. This is your moment. This is the time. It's not next week. It's not tomorrow. It's right now. And he's crying because they can't see it. Like I said before, uh, sometimes he's laughing and joking, but here you see that he's crying and he's weeping. But his voice, it can change quick. At the end of this scripture, he goes from crying and weeping to walking into the church. And now he's angry again, flipping the table, saying, this is a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. How many of us only hear the voice of the Lord in one way? I only listen when you're, when you're comforting me, Lord. I only listen when you... When you sit me down and, and you give me peace and take away any type of anxiety and, and you, I want that still small voice. How many only listen because you're a passionate person? If he's not yelling and excited, then you don't want to hear about it. He has multiple ways of speaking and we need to have multiple ways of listening and hearing. Here's the thing about the voice of God. It's always one of many in the sea of voices and in the sea of opinions. When God speaks, he's always speaking in the midst of other voices, in the midst of other opinions. There's never been a time in my life, and, and I think you'd be hard pressed to find a time in your life where God was speaking and, and your friends weren't speaking. Your family wasn't speaking. Your kids weren't speaking. Your spouse wasn't speaking. Your boss wasn't speaking. Your coworkers weren't speaking. Whenever God speaks, it's in the multitude of other voices. It's in a multitude of other opinions. That's one thing about the voice of God. Another thing about the voice of God is that it is unbelievably consistent because it is spirit-filled. Have you ever noticed that, that when you talk to, to people, there's a lot of inconsistency? We feel one way today and another way tomorrow. We post one thing this week and another thing next week. We're passionate and convicted and convinced about something this week. And then we change that sometime later. One of the most amazing things about the voice of God is that it is unbelievably consistent. He does not change. It's spirit filled. It may sound a little bit different. The tone may be a little bit different but it is unbelievably consistent. The voice of God always has a be reconciled to the Father and be restored into relationship with your neighbor 
tone to it and heart to it. No matter what God is saying and what, uh, if he's crying and weeping or if he's laughing and joking, if he's quiet and still or if he's loud and passionate, it's always going to have this uh, uh, be reconciled to the Father and be restored in relationship to your neighbor, tone to it. It's one of the ways that you can know that it's him who's actually talking in the midst of this other sea of voices and opinions. So back to our voice, right? I told you I was talking with a, with a leader about our voice and, and when we speak and should we not say anything because so many other people are talking. We cannot be silent in the sea of voices and opinions. We actually need to be the voice in the sea of voices and opinions. Let me say that again. We cannot be silent because there is a sea of voices and opinions. We need to be the voice in the sea of voices and opinions. What does that mean? We're not always going to be right about everything. We're not always going to be the most intelligent person in the conversation. We're not always going to be the best communicator in these conversations. But God has given us a grace and a voice in this world. I wonder if anybody really believes that this morning. We're not always going to be the most intelligent. We're not always going to be the best communicator. But what God has given us is a voice in this world. From him that he wants to be heard. I see this all the time. God uses regular people in this church to minister to our youth, to minister to our young adults, to minister to our men, to minister to our women, to minister to our marriages and our couples, to minister to our singles. It's not the best of the voices. It's not the most intelligent of the people, but God uses it because that's who God is and that's what he wants. It's the same thing in your workplace, in, your, in uh, our government, in our schools. God will use our voices and they're important in those areas. But how easy it is to say there's so many voices. There's so many opinions. There's so many people more intelligent, more gifted to speak. Our voice needs to be heard. Our voice needs to be consistent and it needs to be spirit filled. Just like the voice of God, consistent and spirit filled. It can be loud at times, quiet at times, powerful at times, weeping at times, but it needs to be heard. I've been talking to pastors this week who are uh, losing people in their churches because the pastor has taken a stance against racism, sent out emails recorded videos, posted things about this issue um, that's going on in our country and in the world right now, and they're losing people in their churches. I know what it's like to lose people in the church because of things that I've said, stances that I've taken, things that I've shared with them and prayed uh, with them and tried to encourage them about. That's just the reality. I think most pastors have experienced that. I know I've experienced that. And now as I'm talking with other pastors that are experiencing it in a very unique and difficult way right now, it's very interesting. I've seen people leave the church because I've told them to confess sins within their marriage. 
I've seen people leave the church because I've told them to get married. <laughs> because I've told them that they need to tithe and offer. I've seen them leave because I've told them that they need to forgive other people. I've seen them leave because I've told them that I understand that you've been wrong, but it's okay to be wronged. <laughs> You'd be surprised with some of the things that we say and the voice that we have, uh, how people respond to that and to leave, right? I've seen people leave because I've told them, hey, that's, that's sin. And then I've seen people leave because they've come to me with something and I've had to tell them, actually, that's not sin. You're upset about it, but that's not sin <laughs> in that other person's life. So as I'm talking with these pastors and I'm, and I'm, I'm broken for them, I'm broken with them, we, we experience the same thing. Ultimately, the number one thing that I've shared with each of these pastors this week and over the last couple of weeks was that I pray that your people will realize that you're the same man and the same pastor and the same leader that you were four weeks ago. <laughs> I told them that uh, I pray for their people that they would realize that the message that you're preaching right now is in line with the message that you were preaching four weeks ago. They may not want to hear it. They may not think it applies to them. They may not be excited about it, but you are unbelievably consistent. <laughs> the message that's going out is still the truth. It's the gospel. I told them I pray that people will slow down and understand that it may be coming to them more passionately or even more subtly. It may be coming to them excited about what God can do, and it may be coming to them in tears. But it's consistent with everything else that they have been preaching. I believe it has a clear call to be reconciled to the Father and to be restored in relationship and fellowship with our neighbors. So the title of our final Faith Factory message this morning is Faith Factories on a Hill. Faith Factories on a Hill. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this Faith Factory series that we've been in, we saw that God is building faith factories where we're being transformed into the image of the original faithful one who is Jesus, right? God says, this is my faithful one. This is my son. He is the prototype. He is all that you could desire to be and all that I desire for you to be. So I'm going to create in you this faith. You're going to be a faith factory, right? We saw from 2 Peter chapter 1, which is our main scripture for the series, that uh, in this faith factory, God is adding these things to us to produce faith, to create in us this new heart and to create in us this faith. Those things are virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 
right? We talked about being in a factory and going through these different stations and God is just pouring these things to our life in this order and that at some point when it all comes together, we become men and women of faith and strong faith. Then last week we saw the secret ingredient, which is the Holy Spirit. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. We talked about how the Spirit came uh, uh, to the disciples who were in the upper room praying, waiting for something that God had promised them. And we said that this spirit of God, this secret ingredient when it comes to our faith is what makes it actual faith versus pseudo faith or knockoff faith, right? There's other people who are trying to produce things in people that are, that are good things, but it's not the same as being a faithful man or woman of God. When you have the Holy Spirit, you can have faith. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Kind of ties it together. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Right. So you got your faith factory. You got these things that are being added to your faith. We've got the Holy Spirit, which is the secret ingredient, the main ingredient. And it says that when you have that, you are being transformed into the image of God. From glory to glory, looking less like yourself and your old self and more like Jesus on a daily basis. Right? So your faith factory and my faith factory is actually a light and it's a voice and it's planted on a hill. And God desires that you would be a light and a voice. Whatever hill that is where he's planted you in your home, in your community, in your church at your workplace, you're supposed to take that faith factory and God planted it on a hill, not that it would be hidden, not that it would be silent, not that it would be covered up so you can't see the light. He says, I need people to see the light. I need people to hear your voice and that I would be glorified through that. You are a faith factory on a hill. So I'm going to be brief with the rest of this. I just want to give you three things that you can do to help your voice be heard help your light shine bright and truly be a faith factory on a hill, right? <clears throat> we talked earlier about speaking versus not speaking, right? God has a voice and he speaks. We have a voice. We need to speak. Yes, there's a sea of voices, a sea of opinions, but we need to speak, right? One of the issues though is even once we've made that decision to speak, we're often working with different definitions for the same term. So we've decided to be a light, we've decided to be a voice, and we're going to go out there and we're going to speak about something, we're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about injustice, whatever it might be. And you may use a word, you may use a term, and what somebody else hears is a different term or they have a different definition for that word than you do. Let me give you an example. I spoke for a church last night here in the city of Brea, and uh, the pastor and I had a... Had a um, uh, kind of like an interview. We we're just sitting, talking, dialoguing together about the things that are going on. And after the meeting was over, this beautiful couple, an older couple from their church, came up to me and it was, it was a very good um, approach and conversation that we had. Uh, no animosity, no anger, nothing like that. But, but they came up to me and, and they wanted to talk about uh, what is racism. The, the, the husband actually asked me, uh, can you help me give me a definition of, of racism? Right? And I... <laughs> I said, that's a pretty complicated question, especially at a time like, like right now. But I said, in the simplest terms possible, let's say that racism is to give a particular group of people more or less value 
based on the color of their skin. That's racism. You give somebody more value or you give somebody less value based on the color of their skin. Then he began to, to talk to me, him and his wife, and he was telling me about his experience and he was telling me about how he thinks and he was telling me about how he feels. And as, as, as an older white gentleman, he says, and I love jazz, so I've been a part of jazz bands my whole life and most of my friends that I, that I play with, they're black, they're African-American, I've never thought like this. And I said, man, that's awesome. Like, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> I said, but, but the issue is we, we probably need to widen our gaze, right? Because if you just use your, perspe your perspective and your feelings, when somebody says that we have a problem with racism, you don't see it because you're not racist. What you hear when somebody says racism is easy to turn off because you don't experience that and you don't feel that because we're working with two different definitions. I said, if we widen our gaze, let's look at systemic racism. And I began to tell him that if you're willing to do that, you can see that a people group were brought here as slaves. You can see that a people group was oppressed. You can see that it was the laws, not just individual, but an actual government oppression. And you can see how that transpires over many years. And you can see his eyes begin to open. You can see his wife's eyes begin to open. And they're like, actually, if that's what people mean when they're talking about racism, then I do need to see that. And I am, I, I am a part of that and I need to do something about it. It was a crazy conversation. It was like, it's not even that we're not talking, it's that maybe we're, we're using words that, that we're evaluating differently. So these three things that I'm gonna give you when it comes to uh, being a light, being a faith factory on a hill, I'm doing it on purpose, but I'm gonna give you three, three words, three things, three areas that can intentionally um, and easily be misinterpreted misunderstood, seen in two different, at least two different ways um, when you first hear them. I'm actually going to give you a fourth. It's a freebie. The first one is going to be read. <laughs> read your word, church, because if you want to be a light and you want to be a voice, but you're not reading the word, then you have no light and your, vo your voice has no value, right. right? Like we have to actually read. If we're, if we're not going to read the scriptures, what comes out of us is not going to be the word of God. It's not going to be the spirit of God. It's not going to be the love of God. It's going to be something else. It's going to be contaminated. So make sure that we're reading. So the one that is on the list, number one, is rebel. <laughs> rebel. You want to be a light. You want to be a voice. You want to be a faith factory on a hill rebel. Rebellion at first sounds like and it brings up negative thoughts. We think of rebellious kids. <laughs> we think of uh, rebellions against authority. We even begin to think of rebellions we, we read in the scriptures like Adam and Eve. They had relationship with God. They had fellowship with God. And then they rebelled against the word of God and began to listen to the enemy. Right? Rebellions are often associated with anarchy. We have a status quo, we have a, a community, we have a society, and it's dependent upon people not rebelling. So everything we usually hear about rebelling is negative. I say that we must rebel if we're going to be a light and a voice, because there is a such thing as a good rebellion. Jesus rebelled against so many different things during his life and during his ministry, right? He rebelled against the church when it was misled or misguided. 
And he didn't, he didn't apologize for that. He would even tell people, go to the church, do what they say, but do not live the way that they live. <laughs> Rebel against that. When the church was saying that, that you have to live the way that they live and that they are uh, the epitome of what it means to be the church, Jesus rebelled against that. Jesus rebelled against classism and racism. He rebelled against it. He says, it doesn't matter if you have a lot or if you have a little, your value is found in the fact that you are a child of God. It's not about class systems. Even racism, when you look at Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan, right? She even came and said, we're not supposed to be talking. I'm a, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. You're a man and I'm a woman. And Jesus rebelled against all of that. His disciples left to go get food. And when they came back, they were shocked that he was talking to a Samaritan and talking to a woman. But he rebelled against whatever cultural norms there were at the time. These are good rebellions. And he rebelled against the idea that we must defend ourselves and defend our own lives at all costs. That's something that we would teach our kids. That's something that we kind of live by, especially as Americans. But Jesus rebelled against that. He said, nope, we don't have to defend ourselves at all costs. We don't have to defend our lives at all costs. We actually are going to find victory in laying them down. So number one is, is rebel. If you, if you think there's something wrong with the spirit of rebellion, especially if you're reading and you're, and you're rebelling according to the word of God, let's shift that. Uh, this morning and moving forward and pray about how God would have you to rebel in line with uh, Christ and his rebellion. Number two is resist. Resistance, again, is usually seen as a negative, right? We think about people resisting within a group of co-workers or friends, refusing to get on the same page. Why are you so resistant? There's eight of us and seven of us are ready to roll and you just keep resisting. You won't get on our page. We can't move forward. I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to be silent. We're talking about being a city on a hill. We're talking about being a faith factory on a hill. We're talking about being a light and a voice. There is within each and every one of us a temptation to be silent, a temptation to take the path of least resistance. There is within us a temptation to say, let's let somebody else do that. You have to actually resist it. Even the scriptures tell us resist the enemy, right, and pursue God. We need a spirit of resistance. It's not, it's not that you have to only resist the opposing forces and outside people that are trying to silence you. You have to resist that which is inside of each and every one of us that is telling our own selves to be silent and to cover our light and to let somebody else shine and let somebody else speak. Resist that. I think about it all the time as, as parents. Resist the temptation to think that what your child needs, they can get everything they need spiritually from their church and from their youth leaders and from once a week. Resist that. That's a lie from the enemy. They need it from you on a daily basis, praying every morning before school, praying over every meal, talking to them about what they're going through. Resist the temptation to think that, God, because I love you, my child is not going to get involved in pornography. My child is not going to get involved in drugs. My child is not going to get involved in sex. That's just not going to happen because I love you. Resist that. Something inside of us says, it's going to be all right. No, resist, speak up, talk, help. You're the voice, you're the light. That's your hill where God planted you as the faith factory.
resist the temptation to choose the path of least resistance and resist the temptation to automatically run with the majority right sometimes that's it that's an easy one right like I'm gonna roll with the majority I feel for a lot of my friends um, uh, in many ways that, that, that pastor, especially in this area and the surrounding areas, because it would be pretty easy to say, what do the majority of my people want to hear? And that's what I'm going to preach. What do the majority of my people not want to hear? And I'm going to make sure I don't say that. Resist the temptation to run with the majority. Resist that and do what God has called us to do. The last one. So we've got rebel, we've got resist, we've got a foundation of saying that you have to read. The last one is to retreat. Retreat. To retreat for most of us means to admit defeat. It means to give up, right? You're in a fight, you're getting whooped. Retreat! <laughs> this ain't looking good. We're not winning. However, when you read through the scriptures, most often when we hear retreat, it's associated with Jesus and others retreating to be with God. To be in a place where they find themselves alone with God. To be in prayer. To be in the presence of the Lord. If you're going to be a light, you're going to be a voice, you have to retreat from Facebook for times. <laughs> if you're going to be a light and you're going to be a voice, you're going to have to retreat from Instagram for a time. If you're going to be a light, you're going to be a voice, you're going to have to do some healthy retreating. You're going to have to retreat from certain people and certain conversations. But ultimately, the type of retreating we're going to have to do is to find space and time to be alone with God. That type of retreat is not giving up. It's not admitting defeat. It's not even removing yourself from the battle. It's strategy and it's wisdom. That type of retreat is strategy, it's wisdom. You're not giving up, you're not getting out of the battle, you're fighting better. So I'm gonna close with three scriptures, three examples of where Jesus shows us these principles. So the first, let's rebel. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And those days, and in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And they said, and, and the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from there. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. 
and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus, I see here, this rebellion. He rebels against the lies of the enemy, the lies of the devil. And he rebelled by standing on the word of God. The enemy makes it so easy for us, right? Even many of us, it, it doesn't always seem as clear where you've got God himself, Jesus, sitting here doing battle and rebelling against the enemy. But the same types of things happen in our lives, right? What did he offer him? He said, he said, hey, are you hungry? You can be fed. Many of us will say that, right? Well, Lord, the Lord wants me to be healthy. The Lord wants me to be fed. He wants me to have everything that I need, right? Of course. That's the path of least resistance sometimes. And you're going to have to actually rebel against that. Because it's not the Lord saying that to you. He says, I'll give you wealth. I'll give you, I'll give you uh, authority. Well, we can say that easily too, can't we? Well, well, the Lord wants me to be wealthy. He wants me to have every, every need met. He wants my bank account to be full. He wants me to be in a position of leadership and authority, doesn't he? No, sometimes we have to rebel against that. That's not coming from God. It's coming from the enemy and standing on the word of God. Jesus had no problem saying, Whatever you're saying right now is not in line with the word of God, so I rebel against it. But we have to know the word of God in order to do that. Jesus was a rebel. Let's look at the next one. Resist. John 11, or excuse me, John 13, verse 1. Just five verses, 1 through 5. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. How is this resistance? Jesus resisted the temptation to treat Judas according to who Jesus or according to who Judas was rather than treating Judas in a way that was in line with who Jesus was. He had to resist. He had to say, look, I could treat him the way he deserves to be treated. He's, he's betraying me. He's eventually going to give me a kiss while he's handing me over to be crucified. But look at this resistance that Jesus had to have within him. He had to say, not only am I going to resist the desire to treat you that way, but I'm also not going to just be neutral. I'm going to treat you according to who I am. And he picks up Judas's feet and begins to wash Judas's feet. Think about that level of resistance, this temptation that's within each and every one of us to behave according to to how we see people or how we feel versus who God is. It's a significant resistance. To be a light, to be a voice um, through resistance, we have to resist being like anyone but Christ. I can't even be like me. I can't be like you. I can't be like others. I got to strive to be like Christ. I got to resist the temptations that are in me to do things a certain way. 
And I don't see any other example in all of history of anybody that can do that like Jesus. It's hard. But I do believe that when you have the Spirit of God, it, it just begins to, to happen for, mo for multiple different reasons. One of the protests we were on uh, yesterday, it was a, a great protest. We marched through the city. Um, uh, even the lights were shut down at different places and there were vigils, all kinds of great stuff going on. And then we got to the end at, at the police station and at City Hall. Um, um, there were some people waiting for us there with some signs that were different than our signs and some words that were different than our words. And they were a small group of people, but uh, it, it began to, to affect the group. And I don't know how it always happens. I always find myself in the middle of drama. But I found myself over there with them trying to protect them, to keep them from getting hurt, to keep them from, from destroying what God was already doing in this other larger group. And I was thinking to myself, like, how, how did I end up here? Why? Because there's something in me that wants to resist what my flesh wants to do. My flesh wants to say, y'all going to get what you get. You knew what was going to happen when you came out here and you wanted it to happen, which is why you waited to the end to position yourself for it. But the same way that Jesus doesn't roll like that, right? Jesus says, Judas, I'm going to go ahead and wash your feet. I find myself as people are coming at them saying, hey, guys, go back the other way. Turn around. Let's stay focused on what you're here for. And turning around to these people and saying, listen, <laughs> it's going to be all right. Stay here where you're at. Resist the temptation to treat people the way they deserve to be treated, to treat people the way you want to treat them and be like Christ. Last one. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. It says, Then they came to a place which, which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Man, I feel like saying that so many times right now. Brother, are you sleeping? Friend, are you sleeping? Church, are you sleeping? And here's Jesus. Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Even when I wrote this one, it's about, it's about retreat, but you can even see the resistance and the rebellion here too, because he resisted the temptation to even treat uh, Simon uh, Peter, James, and John, the way that maybe they deserve to be treated. 
right? They're sleeping on him when he needs them the most. And instead, he just says, man, you're still my guys. I love you. Let's roll. <laughs> but the retreat in the most critical time, right? At the climax of the story, when the war and the battle is at its height, we would think that this retreating is somehow negative, but it's not negative. He's retreating in the sense of, I need to be with my father. I need to be in prayer. I need to go deeper into prayer. The first time I wasn't deep enough or far enough, I'm going to go a second time. I'm going to go a third time. This continual retreat. Read back through the Gospels and you'll see that from the beginning, he would do that. Even when the devil tempted him in the beginning of his ministry, it was after a 40-day retreat of fasting and prayer. Jesus retreated. We're going to have to retreat. It doesn't mean we're out of the battle. It doesn't mean that it's a physical retreat. It means that it's a spiritual retreat that we need to learn to practice. We cannot be a light. We cannot be a voice. We will not even survive the battle if we don't learn how to retreat and spend good quality time with Jesus. Spend time in prayer, which is what we're going to do now. We're going to pray and we're going to have communion and we're going to, uh, to release you. So you are a faith factory on a hill. You are a light. You are a voice. There are a sea of other voices. There are a sea of other opinions, but your voice needs to be the voice it needs to be uh, unbelievably consistent and spirit-filled. It doesn't matter if it's loud or quiet, if it's laughing or crying. It's a valuable voice. It's an important voice. That voice in your home, that voice with your family, that voice in your community, that voice in your church, that voice in your workplace. Uh, be that voice, be that light. Let's be men and women who will rebel according to the word of God, who will resist our own internal temptations to live and act in a particular way, and who will retreat to be with God. So stand with me. We're going to pray. Hallelujah, Lord. So every time we gather, we give an opportunity to respond to God. Typical preacher. Read, rebel, resist, retreat, and now respond. We give an opportunity to respond to what the Spirit of God is doing. One of the things we understand about how God speaks, like we mentioned earlier, there's tone, there's volume. There's timing, there's all those types of things, but there's also this way that God speaks that, um, that we don't really understand, and it's, it's spiritually. He speaks to hearts, he speaks to minds. We often talk about praying in the spirit where the scriptures tell us that our spirit is praying and we're edified, but we don't really understand. And, and a lot of times in, in services, when the word is preached, when we seek the Lord, God is doing all different types of things in different hearts and minds. We may think we're going in one direction and he's taking an individual in another direction. So at this time, I want to give you a chance to respond to, to, to two things. The first is, um, if the Lord is, is calling you into salvation, into forgiveness, into repentance, um, that you would be saved. That initial resistance. For everybody that's ever been saved, there's something inside of them that was resisting confession 
Something inside of us was resisting repentance. We began to, to, to listen to ourselves or we kept listening to ourselves saying, we're okay. We're not that bad. We're going to make it. We're better than most. If there is a God and there is a heaven, we're going to be there. But we have to resist that. And we have to acknowledge the truth that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we are wretched. <laughs> that we are dark, that we are sinful. And that there's only one way to be healed, one way to be forgiven, and that's through Christ. There can be no forgiveness without repentance. So if you're here this morning, if you're watching or listening right now, if that's you, you want forgiveness, you want repentance, you want to be saved, will you raise your hand so I can see you, so I can pray with you and pray for you? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. So the other area that I would ask that you would respond is in this area of not being a voice and not being a light, not being a faith factory upon a hill, believing that it's somehow going to just work out maybe, or that there's somebody else that God would rather use, that maybe you would respond this morning and say, you know what, I'm willing to pray about, I'm willing to consider, I'm willing to seek God to see if actually I'm supposed to be the light. I'm supposed to be the voice, whether that's in your home, in your church, within your family, at work, with your three or 400 friends on Facebook or Instagram, that maybe you're actually supposed to be the, the, the light, you're supposed to be the voice, even though there's a sea of voices and a sea of opinions, maybe you're supposed to be the voice that is consistent with the Spirit of God, mm. that calls people to be reconciled to the Father and calls people to be restored into fellowship with their neighbors. If that's you and you want to respond, I'm going to pray and then we're going to open the altars. We're going to actually pass out communion to you if you want to take that. But if that's you and you want to be prayed with, you want to be prayed for like we're doing all the time right now, we'll make sure that we've got gloves and masks on. God can move definitely through those things. But man, I want you to respond. Read, rebel, resist, retreat. And now respond. If that's you, we want to pray with you. So, Lord, we're going to open these altars here in a moment. We are going to have a time of communion, Lord God. But for those that have maybe given their life to you or those that would say that it's time to be a voice, it's time to be the light, it's time to not just allow there to be a sea of voices and a sea of opinions, Lord, but to be willing to be used by you to be the voice, to be the opinion that matters coming from you with your spirit in line with your word lord god that you would bless them that you would empower them that you would encourage them lord that it is not about being the most intelligent it is not about being the uh, the most well spoken it is not about being able to answer every question it's just about being able to say what you want us to say when you want us to say it how you want it to say it shining in a way that gives you glory we want to pray with them and we want to pray for them. Have your way as we go into this next week, Lord God. We understand. We understand, Lord, 
that we're looking for a peace that surpasses understanding. We will not take the path of least resistance. We will not expect that we can just have peace and tranquility, Lord God. We will understand that we're going to be hard pressed on every side. We'll understand, Lord God, that we're going to be persecuted, but not forsaken. Oh, have your way, Lord God. We don't have to be afraid because we know that you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us, Lord God. Prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. The